Hebrew. Hebrew. Hebrew moment of the day. This is the one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. Uh, this is Genesis chapter 6 verse 4. Can anyone tell it to me in English? Ah, you're cheating. <laughs> uh, you do have a hand out there. Hear, o Israel, the Lord your God is one, or the Lord your God is, I like the term unique better, uh, which kind of gathers what that, the meaning of that one is. Uh, this is... Um, what, uh, what Jesus, the first part of what Jesus would have been quoting when he would have said, uh, love the Lord your God. This is the second part of this, 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 the Shema is love the Lord your God with all your, your heart, soul, and strength. But the first part of it is Shema. And so when they say they would put it on their, their doorpost, they'd put it on their foreheads, they'd put it on their hands, they would write the word Shema so that every time you looked, you would, you would be reminded to love your Lord with all that you are because he is unique. He is different. I like the, the Shema. Um, as he says he's unique, it's, as he says he's one, it's, it's, it's like he's saying, well, he is, he is bigger than just the mind. He is bigger than just the body. He's bigger than just the strength. He's, he's one. He's all of that. But he's also unique. He's, he's, the, he's different from... The balls and the the L, uh, the L's and the the other gods that they're worshiping and the and the the pharaohs and the the pantheons that are out there that that they would have been encountering on a daily basis, uh, other deities and uh, uh, he's bigger than just Hebron. He's bigger than just you know the god. It's not he's not just the god of Bethlehem. He's not just the god of Hebron. He's not just the god of the high mountain. He's unique. He's bigger than all that. He's one. He's the Lord of all of Israel, and they are united. Even it's not just the the Lord. So this passage is an important passage, and they would have uh, many Jews even today say it daily, up to three times a day, as they're they're speaking and and saying. So. We read it in Hebrew, and I have it over there kind of spelled out to you. Um, so, and you remember your vocabulary. You can go back through and, and read that out. Remember, it reads um, right to left. Let me grab my pen. So, we're reading here, and then back up, and then here, and then back up. So, we're reading the S, and then the E. And then the M and the A. And then that's a breathing mark, remember? So we have she, Shema, Shema, Yisrael, um, Israel, Yisrael. Uh, this word right here is Yisrael. You'll see that a lot in the scriptures. Oops, I got the wrong thing selected. There we go. This word right here, Yisrael. Um, so, um, so Israel, uh, Shema Yisrael, 
Adonai. Now, this is an interesting word. We're going to come back to this later. But this is known as the tetragrammaton. It's the word that is given to Moses when Moses asks, tell me your name, as he is called in the, um, the time of uh, when he's, he's in the, the, the whole, throw off your shoes, you're on holy ground, and he's at the burning bush, and, and he says, you're going to go into the, to Egypt, and he says, well, tell me your name, God, and he gives them the name, I am that I am, a lot of your Bibles translated, I am that, or your Bible might do it, Lord, all caps, and you see the time you see Lord, all caps in your Bible, that's this word right here. Um, it'll be, if it's Lord, just a capital L, it's a different word. Lord, all caps, is this word all right here. And it is a word that became so holy that they don't pronounce it. It probably sounds something like Yahweh or Yahweh, we think. But it became, like I said, it becomes so holy that we're not sure how to pronounce it. Because they don't, even today when you're reading it in the scriptures, they don't read it. You would, you would say Adonai instead of Yahweh. That's why when it's translated on there, it's El, El Heinu. Uh, I'm sorry, it, says, it's, it's written Adonai, but it's not like written like because the other ones if you look on your piece of paper they like they they like spell it out this is the the consonants and this is how it's spelled on that piece of paper they don't do that for Yahweh the Lord uh is is they don't pronounce it so they would say Adonai even though it'd probably be like Yahweh or Yahweh um in pronunciation and so you guys heard me have you heard me say that Yahweh Adonai uh, on my when I'm preaching and stuff like that I say that from time to time out of habit, um, but they would not. So anytime you read this passage, here Israel, so you say, Shema Yisrael Adonai, even though that's not what's written there. Um, yes, the four-letter word. It's a four-letter word you don't say in church. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, um, it's a, yeah. So, uh, Shema Yisrael Adonai Elahenu. Elahenu. Well, I'm not going to go through all the the, the Greek, but uh, Elohim. You guys know, remember that word, Elohim. Well, when you combine it with the hour, the new, it becomes Elahenu. You drop that M off there. It's Elahenu. Uh, so what you got there is our God. Um, so the new is, is the, the, the our part of it um, in, in the Greek. They, uh, they change the way it sounds. The Semitic languages all kind of do this. They all change the endings. Instead of just adding our God, like, you know, God, they, would, they would change the endings. That's how you know it's, whether it's possessive or whether it, it's you know, it demonstrative or whether it belongs to something, what it's doing depends on the ending. And so you have to pay attention to the endings in the Hebrew. And so Eloheinu is our God. Um, and then once again, it has the Adonai. 
that we don't pronounce Yahweh or Yahweh. And then Achad. Notice again, that's that that hey sound. So it's that you kind of got to do that sound. So Achad. Yeah, Achad. And Achad is one of those words that does mean the let the number one. It means. Um, uh, but in this case, it kind of means like it is, it's different from the others. It's, he's the only one like it. So the word, our English word unique kind of captures the meaning more because it's not just he's one. A lot of times we as Christians like to say, well, that's monotheistic, you know, monotheistic. But at the time of Deuteronomy, remember the people of Israel were not monotheistic. They were henotheistic. They were fine with their, the idea of being multiple gods but they only worship one of them. And saying, well, the Lord your God is one, they didn't have an idea of like Trinity like we do yet. That, that develops later. So it's not like they were, they were trying to argue. We often use it to, to argue Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the Lord your God is one, so it's one and all. And, and, it, and that's a fine argument, but that's not what they would have been thinking about. What they would have been thinking about is the uniqueness of God. He is, he is the only one like him. If you have all these other gods in this pyramid of gods, he's something over here. He's different. He's bigger. He's better. He's, he's different. So he's unique. Um, and that captures more along the lines of what the... Um, what the scriptures is trying to to capture there. Um, interesting enough, when um, in uh, John three sixteen, you know, love the Lord your God. Uh, what was John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten. That word begotten is closer to the uni- the word here that's uniqueness. It's actually Greek, but the 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 what they're trying to capture is actually the, the same kind of thought they're doing here. He's unique. He's the unique son. And so they're trying to capture that same kind of idea in the Greek. Um, so we, we often say that he's uh, begotten or his, only, his, one, his one and only his, his unique son is actually a closer translation for what, we're trying to, what they're trying to capture there. So uh, Hebrew for the week. Memorize Shema. Shema Israel Araheno Aranai. <laughs> you can do it. I know you can. Shema Israel. It was actually the very first passage in Hebrew that I memorized. Um, I went online and I found someone who read it for me. Because um, you can do that. You know, YouTube has lots of fun stuff. Um, of course. When I did it, it was before YouTube, so I had to go find an MP3 because it, bef- it was after CDs before YouTube, so MP3 download. Uh, that uh, when I download, when I learned, when I first memorized the Shema, Shema Israel, Adonai, 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 and I memorized that, and uh, it was the very first thing I ever memorized uh, in the Hebrew. I was, I was pleased myself with that. It, and you should be too when you memorize it, because that's one of those things that reminds you that God is unique, and we are to love Him with all that we are as His children, the child of the unique God.
So, and because he is unique and we have inherited that, we are unique as well. Something to this. Uh, there's a, it's a wonderful passage. All right, any questions with the Hebrew before we move on to today's Genesis lesson? Nope. And someone's Harry Potter is going off. Um, all right. So remember last time, if you were here, if you weren't here, last time we established that Genesis is, well, we talked about heaven and hell. And we talked about What's the first thing that comes to mind, heaven and hell? Well, first thing that usually comes to a lot of people's minds is heaven is this place after you die that you go to. And, and, and earth, they say hell is this place we go to if we're bad. And earth is the space in between that we're living now. But what we talked about last week was that what they're doing there is, is something different. The Israelites cosmology, the way they looked at the universe is different. And we're actually going to talk more about that when we finish this segment. So not today, maybe not next week, but for sure the week after that. Um, we're going to talk more about that, what the ancient cosmologies are. We're actually going to look at three or four of them. I haven't decided. I know we're for sure going to look at Canaanite cosmology. We're going to look at Israelite cosmology. And we're going to look at Egyptian cosmology. And I might look at another one as well. Um, that was from the area. Um, but when they viewed the world... It was different than the way we view it. We, we have the wonderful blessings of things like the Hubble telescope. And uh, that has changed the way we see the seven heavens and the stars and the moon and stars. You know, we, we know these things. And, and um, th they may or may not have known. You know, they, they knew about how many planets they were. We have records of the... the, the um, the Mesopotamians have counted how many planets they were. Um, but saying like they know, you know, what there are, you know, that's, you know, they don't look at the world as there. And God has chosen to pass something to us in the book of Genesis through their cosmology, through the way they looked at the world. But... Before we talk about that, I wanted to get something out of the way that often hijacks the way we look at Genesis. Because when we, we first we read Genesis, it, this, this hijacks it every time we start talking about, well, how, what's the age of the earth? How did God create the earth? And these are important topics to talk about and to come down on where you decide on this subject is important, but it's not what the Bible's trying to do. It's not a science book. It, it was, this kind of talk wasn't even something that they would have thought about. This is not the way they thought about it until the time of Darwin when we started arguing with Darwin and the monkey trials and all that. That's when this kind of talk started coming up. Before that, this is not something they would have thought about. So we 
we often let this discussion that we're going to have today and probably tomorrow hijack what the Bible is actually trying to tell us. And I'm not saying this isn't important. This is an important conversation. But it's not really the point of Genesis chapter 1. It's not the point. We just let it become the point. And then we get in these arguments and we don't go anywhere. And we miss what Genesis 1 is actually about. Because they did not see the world the same way we do. And so God is relaying something through the way they looked at the world to us today. And so we're going to look first at this one. And we're going to kind of we're going to t- look at these arguments uh, today and then next week. And then we're going to set these arguments aside. We're going to just, okay, go, if you, you know, you can go back and reference more material if you want later on by yourself. We're going to actually look at some of the things, and we're actually going to start looking at the cosmologies that they had. We're going to look at the, the, the words. We're going to actually look at the, the, the literature, the literary arrangement of Genesis, because it's such a beautiful, beautiful book. It is written so gorgeously. Uh, chapter one is just amazing. I love it. Um, for example, and it just, just to give you a little, we'll, we'll bring this up again, but I'll give you a little treat. How many letters, how many words, sorry, how many words are in the Hebrew in Genesis chapter one? Uh, one, verse one. One, one. There are seven of them. There are seven Hebrew words in the first chapter of, of Genesis chapter one. Now, think, use your Bible heads. Think about all the sevens. We'll go through some of those sevens when we get to that part. Think about all the sevens that are in there. I think, well, they did that on purpose. It was done on purpose. This is beautiful. It is beautifully written. And when we let this discussion dictate it, we miss that. And so we're going to have this discussion, and then we're going to put it away, okay? And some of you will be on this side of the fence, and some of you will be on this side, some of you will be on this, and some of you are like, I don't know. And you know what? Whatever place you find yourself in these arguments, that's okay. None of you are going to be rude or mean to someone else that disagrees with you. That's not going to happen, okay? You guys are going to be okay. You're going to, this person is younger, so they can be a Christian. This person is older, so they can be a Christian. Because remember, what defines a Christian? It's not the age of the earth. It's what? Jesus. So, with Jesus, so, so this is something that we're going to have that conversation, and then we're going to put it away. So let's talk first. The first one we're going to talk about is probably the most common one here in evangelical circles at church, at least among the, um, the average person, I say. Um, and I say that because it's the most common, it has become, though it's only become the most common in recent, and I say that looking at all of history, in recent years, um, you know, let's say 1800s and forward, it's become the most common. Before that, they wouldn't have even thought about this thing, you know, like I said, it was... um, the young earth creationist point of view. So we're going to start with that. That's many of you in this room are young earth creation. When I say young earth creation, what do you think I mean? What? 
Okay, well, no, young earth creationism. When I say that, what do you... What? Okay, so we're having a lot, of, a lot of things that I'm hearing. The young earth creation is the idea that the earth is relatively young. Now, when we say the word young, this one has kind of a misnomer because when we say the word young, young compared to what? Compared to the other point of view, then it's old. That's all there is. This is kind of relative, isn't it? <coughs> um, so it's, it's young compared to those who believe it's old. That's, that's it. I mean, uh, you know, 6,000 years ago is quite a long time ago. But if you're a young earth creationist, that's around the time period you think the earth was, you believe the earth was created. It was about six to 10,000 years ago. Um, and so it's kind of a unspecified temporal relative point of view. But, um, but when we talk young earth creationists, we're really talking about um, the idea that... Um, the earth is, the, the, the days of the earth, when it says day, earth, we'll talk about the word day here in a little bit, uh, probably today, uh, maybe not till next week, but probably today. Uh, you say that when it says day, it's talking about 24 literal days, uh, 24 hour period, a literal day. What was it was beginning, it was morning, it was evening, and then it was morning, and it's one day. There's another day, another, so you got six literal days. And then when you take the days of the earth and you say, well, Abraham was this old and when you track back the literalist meaning of the word and then this one was this old and this one was this old and this one was this old, and we get to around 6,000 years um, old. I mean, it's 6,000 and some change now, but it's around 6,000 years old. Um, and you can play with those numbers a little bit. It's, you know, like the days of this guy was this much old. And you can come up with a date that's like 10,000 years old and still be a young earther. So you got somewhere between 10,000 and 6,000 years old is a young earth creationist. Um, and, uh, and so when they, uh, young earth creationists seem to have some things in common. Like, um, they believe that, um, and, and so, and, and they, uh, well, before I say that, young earth creation often are the ones who receive the most flack from um, outside sources because they look at like the geological survey and they look at the, uh, the, the, um, the, Testings, you know, the, the phosphorus testing and, the, 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 you know, all the different testings that you have, uh, how the age to develop, how old a nucleus is and uh, all the carbon dating. And, of course, you know, and, and, you know, after carbon dating only works from a certain time period and then you have to do different kind of de testings. And, and, and so you, they, but young earth uh, creationists uh, seem to have the most flack from um, they're, they're ranked in there. They're thrown in there with flat earthers and uh, people that believe in the hollow earth and lizard men. Um, um, and, uh, but, you know, there is a lot of scientists that do believe in the young earth creation theory. Um, and there's some scholars. Um, 
and um, you know, math, some mathematicians. And so it is kind of a common, um, um, a different things. And I think when we um, skeptics, both scholars and Christian, often portray younger creationists as this unsophisticated, ignorant um, religious zealots. And I, th- I think that um, what it leads to is a lot of anger and scapegoating and, um, and whatnot that um, really kind of divides and separates um, on both, from both sides. You know, we, we, we divide ourselves up. I don't know how many times I've been on, in arguments with people that are about one side or the other, and it divides them. Like it will, like you're not a Christian if you believe in, um, if you believe in, you know, the earth is this many years old. You just can't be a Christian. You have to be a younger. Um, um, if you're looking for some good books on, on that direction, I recommend people like uh, Ken Ham. He's the guy who's kind of leading a lot of things out there. I don't always like him. He's a little too, he sets up a lot of straw men in my opinion. Remember what straw men were? When you have an argument, and here's the, the actual villain, and you set up a dummy villain to talk about instead, so you're not actually talking about the problem, you're talking about a straw man. Um, you're defeating a straw man, not the real. Um, that's a straw man argument. Um, and so he, said, he does that a lot, and, um, and uh, so you have to be careful. But he's, he's got some good books out there. Um, and he's on TikTok, and so you, if you're, you say, I can't read. Well, TikTok's got some, he's got some stuff on there. Um, and he's also the one who does the, um, who helps, is helping with the, um, Noah Museum, the, the, in Kentucky, the big Ark Museum, that's, uh, that's the, actually the size of what the Ark would have been, and you can go in there and stuff like that, so that was, uh, from that, but, um, so yeah, so you got young earth creations who interpret the day, evening, it's, 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 set up, um, they usually believe that sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, which means most of them believe that there was no such thing as death before Adam and Eve sinned, Um, including, many of them believe, including animals. No animal died before um, Adam and Eve, before death entered the world uh, through through their falling. Um, not everyone in the world believes that. I'm just going to throw that out there. But that's, uh, that's usually what they believe, uh, what young earth people believe. I'm going to be speaking in third person because I'm not going to tell you exactly what I believe uh, because I'm going to let you go. I'm going to throw theories out. That's the way I was taught to do in college. When I went to shul, I got irritated with teachers that says, this is the way you have to believe. They were the ones I usually argued against because whatever they were saying, I didn't care what it was. I was going to argue against them. <laughs> um, it didn't matter if I agreed with them or not. I was going to argue against them because don't you tell me what I have to believe. Give me the theories and let me decide for myself. Um, I've always been that way. Um, Young Earth Christians usually believe that the the flood is a worldwide 
event, not a local event. Um, some Christians believe that the flood, Noah's flood, was a, a localized, the earth was, they say the, the end of the earth, does it have to be like the entire globe as we know it, or does it have to be a local thing? We'll talk about that here in a second. Um, Young Earth, the big thing I think with Young Earth creationists is they see no need to try to harmonize any kind of model that is with the world. No naturalistic, atheistic worldview, no scientific worldview. They don't have, feel the need to, to say, well, science says this, you know, there's no need. They don't, the Bible says this and we're going to leave it there. Um, uh, and so... Um, and so anything that shy, and, it's, and and so they may not shy away from geology, astronomy, biology, or any other field, but that doesn't mean that they're going to agree with. They're going to usually going to have to take different stances on in those fields because they're going to start with God. Um, <laughs> I was reading and I came across this quote. I kind of liked it. Um. Since the Holy Writ is true and all true agrees with truth, the truth of the Holy Writ cannot be contrary to the truth obtained by reason and experiment. This being true, it is the business of judicious expositors to find the truth meaning in, in the scripture passage which must, according to the conclusion of the observation and experience, care uh, and care must be taken that the work of exposition does not fall into the foolish and ignorant hands. Um, that was Galileo. Um, he, he's arguing that the Bible is completely true and therefore our experiments and our ex must match those things. Otherwise our interpretations must change. And so I've seen this be used by both creationists and old earth creationists to argue their point of view. Um, but uh, it's an interesting quote uh, I wanted to share with you guys. Um, if you're not in the habit of reading tough books, you really should. Uh, they make you wrestle with things and think about things. and The wording can even the wording themselves can challenge us. Take, for example, C.S. Lewis. He's a wonderful Christian that you may or may not agree with. He was a Catholic. He was, I'm sorry, he was Protestant. But he, and so uh, he was a Protestant. His, his friend uh, Tolkien, J.R. Tolkien, was a Catholic, and they argued all the time. But when you read their material, like C.S. Lewis materials, you have to wrestle with a lot of what he says. Is this... You know, because the wording is so different. And uh, he writes at a college level, which I've noticed as I'm reading for fun, because I read a lot, you know, for fun and for work. When I read for fun, the average reading level of a book is anywhere between third and sixth grade reading level. So if I read, um, you know, uh, a lit RPG or... I read, uh, you know, uh, a comic book, or I read Tony Hillerman, or I read, you know, uh, J James Patterson. You're reading at about a third to sixth grade level. You have some that write a little lower, like Stephen King's are usually a little bit more eighth, ninth grade level, but they're really not 
college works. <laughs> and if you don't push yourself, it's really easy not to be, say, well, I don't understand that. I don't get it. Uh, and just not read them. Uh, I think it's a very good thing that we, we, we push ourselves in our, in our reading habits. The Bible itself is not written at a sixth grade level. And when we try to make it read at a sixth grade level, we miss things. Um, we do miss things. So I encourage you to push yourselves. All right, let's ask this question. Um, was Noah's flood global or local? What do you guys think? Global, local, global. <laughs> Um, how you view this usually views, um, you know, um, what you view as, as what's happening here. And we'll talk more. We'll, we'll definitely, I mean, we will eventually, uh, eventually get to the flood. Um, but, um. There are some out there that read the, the word and say, well, it says the earth was covered, right? But what do you mean by earth? Now, when we think in our modern terms, we usually think the globe. But remember, at an ancient cosmology, they didn't have a globe mentality. Actually, the ancient Israelites, and we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, they thought the earth was flat sitting on some mountains, uh, sitting on some pillars. And so when they said it was flooded, the earth was flooded, they had, I mean, the idea that it was a globe and low, I mean, this wouldn't have been even something that they would have thought about because they would not, I mean, the earth was flooded. Everyone's died. Everyone's died. And so when we got arguing about where people were, when people were, was, was the earth covered? Was the earth not covered? What about this? What about this? And we start getting into these scientific rationales and stuff like that. We can make it both ways. I can make the argument that it being a local event or a non-local event, um, just as scientifically. Well, but how much of that was covered? Because if I was to say f from an, a different point of view, it only has to be enough to kill everybody. Which is actually relatively low. I mean, we covered a mountain, absolutely. In a, it's in a valley-like shape. Um... It doesn't actually have to be the entire globe. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Um. Yes.
I'm going to drown everybody out. I'm going to start again. Mm hmm. Well, but how spread out were they at that time? <laughs> I mean, we got to think, there was a lot less people at the time period. I mean, we got 7 billion people right now. That's, uh, we weren't even close to that. A big city, Laughlin would be considered a city, uh, you know, with a lot of people in it, you know, 1,000 people. You know, you know, what do we got, 11,000 people? That's, you know, if we count snowbirds. Uh, <laughs> that would have been a big place. I mean, that would have been an army-sized place. We would have had a wall around our place to protect us because we got a lot of people in this place. Um, Does it have to be global for that? <laughs> Does it? The Bible says I only actually talks about kinds. The Bible doesn't have the idea of species in it. That's something we come up with later. The idea of species, like the Bible itself, there only needs to be two big cats on there. It doesn't have to be a lions and two two uh, two tigers and two uh, bobcats and two. It just has to be two big cats. They don't have the idea of species in the scriptures. That's not something they have. Two every kind is not two every species. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, and the <laughs> it was a local event. That was a that was a fun movie. Um, Steve Carell. That was a funny movie. Um, the um, the idea, though, what I'm getting at is that not everyone views it the same way. And some of you are like, it has to be a global flood. And if it's not, you're not a Christian. Um, and some of you are kind of hostile to the idea that it's not. But in, a, in a, a, a time period when we think story is written down, the event happens and then it's interpreted and then it's written down many years later, not everyone has, I mean, it, it doesn't like it doesn't have to be a global event. It can just be a local event and still match up with the scriptures. Is what I'm saying. Um, I find it interesting, though the the idea of the Earth being flooded as a globe is actually looked down upon by many science people. But they're the same people that think that Mars was completely underwater at one time, um, which has no water on it except some ice particles. So there's something interesting there. Um, um, so um, 
So anyway, so uh, the idea, and so this, this item right here is another one of those places that depends on, a lot of time it depends on how you interpret scriptures. Because we don't all interpret scriptures the same way. We tend, as, especially in the United States, to group together by people that interpret things exactly like we do. We do. And in fact, we're becoming more so with the invention of like AI and, and, and the news sites. We only watch, you only watch the news that you agree with. Um, there's actually a website that you can go to and you can tell it what kind of person you are and it will only give you the kind of news that you want to read. Um, and we, but I mean, but we could choose like, okay, well, you know, like, um, you know, and we, we can think about like, okay, I watch this kind of news station. I don't watch these kind of, they're too liberal for me. I don't watch that kind of news station. And we, we tend to group with people that agree with us 100%. That's the way we tend to do. And these churches reflect that as well. People that believe the earth is, you know, uh, the, the, it was a global flood and that younger, that the earth is 6,000 years old and that uh, a day means uh, a 24-hour period and um, um, tend to group together where people that, well, actually, I don't know if it may, may be just a local event because of the way the story was developed, it was told, it was, you know, would have seemed like the gold was formed, but it was written down by people and and people wrote it, and they so were telling. And then they said, well, six day doesn't have to. We'll talk about what yom means uh, in a little bit. Um, and the word for day. Um, and they said, well, we can interpret it this way. And we can say, what about this? And, um, and so we can, we can say this. And those people tend to group together themselves. Um, and then, like, people... Um, that believe in the gap theory. We'll talk about the gap theory next, next week. Uh, people that believe in the gap theory, like they're usually King James only and uh, like the Schofield King James version of the Bible and, and, and they, they, you know, group together. Of course, not, there are some gap theory people over here, some gap theory over here. We'll talk about that next week. When you say like gap theory, I'll talk about that next week. <laughs> uh, but we can see that we, there are some people that are sporadic, but we tend to group together in what we believe. And it really, it provides a blessing in the fact that we don't argue as much, but also hurts us in the fact that we don't have to think. We don't have to think about it. It just is what it is. Why? Because it is. We don't have to have an argument. Why, why do you believe the, young, the earth is young? How many of you guys, if I were to, to sit down one-on-one -on -one with you and I was to take an older position and you were to take a younger position, how many of you could actually make your argument? With it just a, because the Bible says so. I mean, that's, that's your argument, because the Bible says so. That kind of thinking hurts us. <laughs> That's like saying grandma said so. Um, you know, I, I've told this story before, um, and I like this story, you know. Um, woman's, she just gets married, and, and she goes to cook the Christmas ham. And she cuts the ends off the ham, drops it in the pot, and starts to bake it. And husband comes and says, why do you cut the ends off? I like the ends. That's the great part of the ham. And she goes, I don't know. My mom always cut the ends off the pan. 
And uh, so she calls her mom's up. Mom, why do we cut the ends off the ham? I don't know. Grandma always <laughs> cut the ends off the ham. Called grandma. Why do you cut the ends off the ham? Well, because it didn't fit in the pot otherwise. <laughs> um, and when we don't push ourselves to think, why do I believe what I believe? It's kind of just like passing down this information. Why? What am I thinking about? And so if anything from what we're talking about, think about when you, whatever position you come down on, because we're going to talk about a couple more of the different positions that are not young earth position. Defend yourself. Be able to defend why you believe that. And when you're presented with, what about this? Like, what about the, a, the stratus, uh, the, what about dinosaurs? What about the layers of dinosaurs and how they're found? Can you answer that question? Well, because the, uh, because, um, well, the flood wiped them out. Well, um, how does that, I mean, the fossil record would show that these ones would die off quicker because they were slower, and then these ones, and then they would go up to highland, and that's just not what the fossil record shows. So what about dinosaurs? What about dinosaurs? If you're going to hold a position... Learn how to defend it. That's all I'm saying. So it's okay to be a young earther. I tend to be more of a young earther than an old earther. But defend it. We have to be responsible to do the thinking. And we get upset when a younger generation says, why, and we can't defend it, and they leave to someone who can defend their point of view. Well, of course they're going to go to someone who can actually make sense. Just because doesn't cut it. We have to be able to... And it's okay to say, you know, when a, when a young person comes up to you and asks you a question, I don't know, let me find the answer, I'll come back to you, which is perfectly fine, but you know what you better do? Come back to them. Because you got to do the work. It's hard, and we got to do the work. And I know I'm always doing that with my children, whenever they ask a question, I do the work. To, I, most time I try to have an answer before they ask it. It doesn't always work, but I try. I don't know everything. But I'm always willing to go do some research and show them how to do research. Because we got to know if you're going to have a position, it's important that you say why you have that position. But it's not just with the on earth. If you believe Jesus Christ came and died for you, why? Why do you hold that position? What does the Bible say? Always give, be ready to give a defense for the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. We have to be ready to defend ourselves. And some of you will be fantastic at this because you're like, you know, researchers and you're, some of you are like teachers and you're good at this stuff, you know, you love research. And some of you will not be as good and both of you are okay, but we have to, it's important that we ask ourselves the question, why? And so when we talk about things like, is the glo global flood, was it a local flood? How many of you ever thought about that? Well, it said the earth was flooded, so that was, that's that. 
Well, I tell you what, the rest of the world, that's, that is not going to cut it. Even within the Christian world, is it a global flood or a local flood? The majority of people in this room, I would say, probably believe it's a global flood. But not every Christian agrees with that point of view. In fact, most old earth Christians, creationists, disagree. They would say it was a localized event. It's because they're interpreting the scriptures different than you are. They're not disagreeing with the scriptures. They're disagreeing with your interpretation of those scriptures. And we gotta, often we've got to misunderstand. Those two things are very different. Interpretation, how we interpret something does not mean we're disagreeing with the scriptures. We can disagree on how we interpret passages. As long as we, but we're not, it doesn't mean we're necessarily disagreeing with the scriptures themselves. And a lot of times we treat people like that is. Now, I've met people that I honestly believe that they are being unbiblical. They are not being truthful to what the scriptures actually say. You know, how many of you guys have met someone they say, well, the Bible says this. And they say, well, the Bible doesn't really say, you know, and they sound more like the serpent. The Bible doesn't really say that. That's unbiblical. But saying, well, really, I read this passage different than you. May mean we can't get along and there's some things that, you know, like may end up at a different denomination because of it. But we're interpreting, but just because we're interpreting the same scripture, we're not doubting the scriptures, we're just interpreting it different. And it's important that we understand that. Um, um, hmm, we only got nine minutes left. We do not have time to go into old earth creationism. Um, so next week, we will talk about old earth creationism, which I'll give you a little teaser. Old earth creationism is kind of like an umbrella term for several different points of view, um, including what we call progressive. And I know progressive has this nasty, blah, but it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. It's not some nasty word. Um, uh, we'll talk about progressive. Uh, the um, day-age theory is, is part of that. Um, the the, the day-age theory. And some of you actually fall into that one even you don't know it. Um, um, and we'll also talk about the gap theory about that. And I'm hoping we get through evolution as well, theistic evolution as well. Right, we're not we're going to spend a ton of time on that one, but if we need to dip into it the week after, we will. But I, um, we're not going to spend a ton of time on that. Um, so, um, okay. Any questions? Yeah. Okay. So in Genesis seven four. Genesis seven four. He uses blot in the ESV. I'm reading from the ESV. 
Now, a lot of you know, I don't know how many of you know, but a lot of you know that I do both English and French. The French uses a word which is balayure, which means wheat instead of blood. Huh. Like weep, like to cry? How interesting. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I will have to go look at that one. Um, she was saying that um, she was reading uh, Genesis chapter 7 4, um, which I don't have out at the moment, um, where it says. Um, the flood will blot out every living creature. Well, in the French, which she reads usually before she reads the English, um, because she grew up in France, um, it uses a word that in English translates the uh, he will it will uh, will weep. The word. Is, is, is a word that means to weep, to cry. Um, and don't ask me to pronounce it. Um, um, uh, I'd have to look it up in the Hebrew at the moment. I don't, um, but, um, which I probably could do, but we, well, i got a couple minutes. Um, So, but I don't really know how to respond to that in this that circumstance. I I I really don't know what to do with that one. Um, I'd have to do some more research on that one. Why they use that word? So, yeah, I'll have to look it up some other time. Um, it's my computer's not working quite as I was hoping it would. Chromebooks are fantastic. Just not so great with um, this particular program I'm using. Uh, Chromebooks are fantastic, just not, not with this, this program I'm using. So, um, For some reason, it's only showing part of the Hebrew, not the full Hebrew, and I don't know why. Um, so anyways. Um, universe, Asher. Yiddish. Uh, that's night. 
Anyways, yeah, I'll have to look into it later. Um, that's, I'll look into that one later. Uh, any other questions? All right, so what are you going to do this week while we, while we think? You're going to, you learn your Shema, and you're going to begin learning, if you're a young earth Christian, you're going to ask yourself, why? What about the hard things? What about the dinosaurs? What about the lines in the sand? What about the, the layers? What about Neanderthal? Um, start asking yourself why. That's a wonderful question. I have some answers to some of those, uh, by the way. But uh, you, it's more important that you have them, not me. <laughs> um, well, I, I dealt with in the college realm for a lot of years, so I have to have answers to what I believe. Um, but it's important you guys do too. If you're going to be talking to people and witnessing and, and telling others, you need to know what you believe too. All right. Uh, anything else? All right. Well, let's go ahead and pray and we'll be done and we'll talk about old earth creationism next week. Father God, Lord, we praise you today, Lord. We thank you for all the wonderful things you've given us, Lord, the, the blessings of just being with you, and we just ask that you just speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us not to... <sighs> Lord, we know that this is an important question, how we respond to this, but Lord, help us not to lose our faith and just to not divide over something that 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 your scriptures are not even we're not originally designed to do, Lord. We pray that we, we may find your truth in the scriptures and that we may focus in on what you're trying to tell us as we focus in on you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.